0: Continue our series on the Gospel of Luke. And we turn today to Luke 5, 27 to 32. So we have six verses there. And I'd just like to read once more the charter verse, the charter verses of the Gospel of Luke. Remember who's our Jubilee? Jesus. He is our Jubilee. The 50th year is here and it remains. Right? He has come to do what? And today we're going to see an illustration of how he has come to set the prisoner free. One who was uh, in his sins. And he's set free by Jesus himself. But let's read, first of all, uh, Luke 4, 18 and 19. The charter verse, um, really, of what Jesus came to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. So today we're going to see an an example of how he has come to proclaim liberty to the captives. An example. One example here is Levi. So we turn the page to Luke chapter 5. Verses 27 to 32. Interesting, my Bible is called Matthew the tax collector. His name is also Levi. So this Levi is also Matthew. And Matthew is the one who wrote the gospel of Matthew. It's the same one. So we read God's word from verse 27. After these things, he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi. Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. Then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house, and there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with them, and, these scri- and their scribes and the Pharisees complained against his disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered and said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So there's one command in here, he gives to Levi, that is, Follow me. That's what I titled the sermon as, Follow me. That's, That's where real life begins. Real life begins with Jesus' call, follow me. And everything else is life after that. But the command, right? To follow me. So, yeah, that's what we want to look at this morning. We want to look at what a follower of Jesus is. What does a follower of Jesus look like? Well, what does a follower, well, what does a follower do? He admires a person or, or believes in a particular person or maybe a group or maybe a certain trend, right? People might like to follow a trend like the latest style of clothing or the latest style of shoes or maybe the latest kind of hero on a hockey team or a football team, like to be followers Sometimes, you know, you get peer pressure. You get pressure from peers, and you really want to be like them. You want to follow them. You want to, why is that? Because you want to feel accepted. So peer influences, they can be very positive. Like an example that would be, well, I want to do my best in my work. I want to excel in my work. Or maybe sometimes peer influences can be very negative. Hey, you want to skip a class with me? Hey, let's do that. How about stealing? How about cheating? Drugs? You know, and it's so easy to give in. People give in because they want to fit in and they want to be liked. That, that's us by nature, right? We want to feel accepted. You know, many people say they follow Jesus. Sometimes it can can be very fashionable to follow Jesus, and you wear a cross. (laughs) See, I'm a follower of Jesus. But what does following Jesus really mean? There's so much confusion today. What does it mean to follow Jesus? What does that look like? Well, we're going to see an illustration of what it means to follow Jesus in Levi's life. And with Levi's life, what do we see here is that life with Jesus always begins with a call, with his voice, which says, follow me. Follow who? Follow Jesus. We're going to see how faith always follows in obeying the call, right? Follow me. We're going to see here this morning or this afternoon how Jesus calls Levi. And having called him, he changes Levi's life. And Jesus also confronts the self-righteous, those who think that they don't uh, really need Jesus to save them from their sins. So we're going to see those three things. Jesus calls Levi. Remember where Jesus was? He was in a home. It was really, really crowded after healing a leper. And no doubt, sorry, not a leper, a, uh, a man with um, who was paralyzed. And it's not surprising that Jesus wants to go out and get some refreshing breezes along the shore. That's what we read in Mark chapter 2. In the time he meets Levi, he was walking along the shore of the seas of Galilee. Earlier he had called the four disciples, the first four disciples, to follow him. When? When he was walking along the shores of Galilee. And once again, he's doing the same thing. Nearby the shore. Who does he see now? Number five, he sees Levi. Levi has, we saw saw earlier, has two names. His other name is Matthew. And of course, he's the one that wrote the Gospel of Matthew. He's sitting at his tax office. It's a little bit of a booth, it was right along the, the highway. It was a main highway going from the country of Syria, passing through the land to Egypt. And of course, people who were bringing goods and merchandise through would have to stop and pay their taxes at the booth. That's what, that was Levi's job. His, his job was to, to collect taxes. Something else about tax collectors they were not liked. People didn't like them at all. As a matter of fact, they really hated them. They hated them. They were the most hated class among the Jews. Why? Because the Romans, right, there were the foreigners. They ruled over the Jews at this time. So the Jews were under them. The Jews wanted to be independent. They wanted to be their own nation. But the Romans had conquered them. They were ruling over them. And the Jews hated the Romans. Why? Because they had to pay taxes to the Romans. To make things worse, some Jews, these are some of the Jews who said to the Romans, hey, you don't need to collect the money yourselves. We'll do it for you. We're going to help you to do this. We're going to help you collect the money. So you can imagine, you can imagine that not only did they not like the Romans, but now they also don't like the Jews. The tax collectors are helping them, who are helping the Romans collect money for them. And the other thing here is they collected way more than what was necessary. They were stealing and becoming rich through their own fellow Jews. So They would give the money to the Romans, but they would have all these extra charges. So they became quite wealthy. Oh, the stinkers, right? These tax collectors, they were top down. People didn't like them. As a matter of fact, sometimes they say when you would meet a tax collector, they would spit on the ground and turn their face. It was just, they were just a despised group of people. Very much hated. Uh, You know, they, they, they uh, realized, the Jews realized they were not only doing it for themselves. They were doing it for the Romans, the tax collectors. And it was against their own people. And they would never speak a friendly word to them. But, you know, the tax collectors, too, they were not nice people either. They were mean people. They had a lot of hatred in their hearts. They had malice in their hearts. And sometimes people would sneer at them and say, we'll get you back. We're going to charge you even more. So they're not the nicest people either. Uh, Very, very um, vindictive kind of people. Many of them were. And they would hang around among their own kind and have big parties, just among their own kind, their own peer group, you could say. Now, Jesus, he approaches this Levi at his office. And here is Jesus, the son of God, God in the flesh. And he looks at Levi. And what does Levi see? Levi does not see hatred in Jesus' eyes. Instead, he sees love and compassion. And then... Jesus says no more than two words to Levi. He doesn't say, Levi, get out of here. Or Levi, what kind of scoundrel are you? He simply says, follow me. It's a command. Follow me. And so he left all. Rose up, followed me, followed him. Think about those words for a minute. Follow me. What's Jesus saying? Put me first. Put me above all else. Trust me. Follow me with your whole life. Follow me as the Lord of your life. Not only as a Savior, but follow me as the Lord of your life. You know, and life which begins with Jesus' call also continues with obeying this call. It shows in Levi's response. Immediately, he obeys. He shows his faith. He shows his faith by obeying the call. He left all, rose up, and followed him. Evidently, this job where he made a lot of money, evidently Jesus meant way more to him than continuing with this. By the grace of God, Levi, of course, didn't deserve one bit of this call. He didn't deserve it. And yet, By the grace of God, he is irresistibly drawn to Christ by faith. Is that the way that Christ works? Is that the way that God works? He works in our hearts in such a way, in the hearts of those whom God has given to his son, in such a way that ultimately our resistance resistance to him can never win. Right? He overcomes our resistance. And that's what we see happening in Levi's life. All of a sudden, Levi is just irresistibly drawn To Jesus. What a huge influence, what a mighty influence on Levi's heart that accompanies the word. What? Jesus speaks the word. Think of the word at creation. Let there be light. What happened? There was light. Jesus says to Levi, Follow me. And immediately, right, Levi leaves all, rises up, follows him. It's effectual. That kind of call. A lot of people hear the call, but it's it's effectual in those whom the Father has given to his son. And Levi was one of those by God's grace. Think of Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Who is it that worked God's will in Levi's heart? Who is it that enabled Levi to will to follow him? God, God changed the will. God worked in his heart so that Levi would do his good pleasure. You see that in Levi's response. Following Jesus means obeying the call. Simply put, what does a follower look like? A follower, a true follower of Jesus, obeys the call of Jesus, and he is Lord. Right? Amen? Amen. He is Lord over all. Let's apply that briefly. To follow Jesus does not mean adding Jesus to your life. No, He becomes your life. Jesus is your life. Levi forsook all, rose up, and followed Him. That's what following Jesus means serving Him with your whole life. He's a Savior who forgives. He's also the Lord to obey. I like what question answer one says over Heidelberg Catechism. Do I belong to myself if I belong to Jesus? Am I boss of my own life? No. I'm no longer my own, but I belong body and soul, life and death, to my faithful Savior Jesus Christ. He has priority in every area of my life. All things are there in service to Him. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It means to obey him, serve him out of a heart of uh, of, uh, trust in him. That's the first thing here. Second thing, you know, so many people want Jesus to change their lives. That's a wonderful thing. But they're not ready to obey him. And so life just continues to be very difficult because they don't want to surrender their hearts in obedience to him. They want the good things. They want the good changes to come about. But to hand over their lives in obedience? Maybe sometimes we find ourselves delaying in our response. The cross sometimes seems so heavy. Uh, look what I need to give up. Look what I need to forsake. Look what I need to leave behind. But you know what? In the midst of this, Be encouraged. Be really encouraged. Look what God could do in a Levi. What a rascal he was. Levi, he was one of those, you could say, low lights in that day. And you can be encouraged because the one who says, follow me, he's the one who gives us his Holy Spirit to enable us to follow, to move forward in faith and to obey him. He's the one who gives us strength. We don't move forward in our own strength. We move forward in faith, obeying him. Levi forsook all, and notice, and rose up. Who else did Jesus raise up? Remember the paralytic lying on the mat? Exact same words are used. Jesus commanded them to get up, rise up, take up his mat, and go home. That same word is used here. Immediately, what did Levi do? He rose up. He's the God of the resurrection. He's the one. The one who calls you, calls you, also raises us up to be able to walk in the way of obedience to him. That's what it means to follow Jesus. Does the strength does not come from ourselves. It comes from the strength, comes, the strength comes from the one who makes the command, but he also gives what He commands so that we may follow him with our whole life in obedience to Him. That's what we see in Levi. And notice here in verse 20: 20, 29, how the Lord changes Levi's life in two ways. We see that in two ways. First of all, briefly, he shows thankfulness to Jesus and he shares Jesus with his friends. Those two ways. Let's look at them. You know, Levi's heart was, his heart was originally so much filled with hatred and vindictiveness and hatred before. And if people looked at him spitefully, like we said earlier, he would say, okay, I'll get you back. I'll just make, I'll just charge you $10 more. That's the kind of person he was. But God in his grace melted his heart and melted his heart so much that Levi rose up, came to Jesus, drawn by his love and compassion and his forgiveness. And he came to Jesus and surrendered everything his whole life, his money, his time, his work, everything to the Lord Jesus Christ. And look at the big, big changes that he brings to this new follower. New changes, new changes in his life. I think this is really important to remember. You know, if the love of God is poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit given us, as Romans 5 says, everything begins to change. Doesn't mean we no longer struggle with sin. Well, we certainly do. But there's a new disposition, there's a new direction. And that's what we see with Levi. Two basic fruits. First, Levi shows his thankfulness to Jesus. He throws a party all right, right? But he doesn't go back to his old friends and booze it up, right? But now he has a party for Jesus. He's showing thanks to Jesus. And it's not the party. The word party is not used here. It's the word feast, a banquet. Actually, the real word is reception. When you think of reception, Hey, I'm gonna have a a celebration. I'm gonna have a reception for Jesus. It's not for himself, it's for Jesus. See 29? Then Levi gave Jesus a great reception. Where? In his own house. Note the change. He left everything, but he gave. He left everything, but he gave a big dinner. And it was in honor of Jesus. You know, when God's grace conquers our hearts, how else can we but respond? We say, uh, was it Psalm 116? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? That was Levi here. A despicable rascal changed into an adopted child of God. God's grace conquered his life sins forgiven, freely adopted as God's child, brought into the rich fellowship of Jesus' family. Wow, that's a great conversion story. That is the greatest healing. People talk about healings these days. A lot of it's nonsense. The miraculous kind of healings, you know, the signs and wonders. A lot of that's nonsense. But this is the greatest, greatest healing you could ever have. That change of heart From sin to salvation. You can imagine the big change in Levi's life. You know, his friends were saying, what? They're probably filled with sadness and grief. What do they see Levi doing? Look, Levi, look what you're giving up. You're giving up a profitable life. You're giving up all this money just for Jesus. How would his peers see him now? How would his friends see him now? Like, would they begin to ridicule him? They only saw one thing. Some, You know, unbelievers only see one thing. They only see your losses for following Jesus. All they see is the negative side. Because that's all they can see. I remember sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with a younger man. And it's really interesting. He understood enough about the good news of Jesus that he finally said, But if I follow him, That means I have to give up my culture, and I have to give up my religion, and I have to give up my gods. You know, he only saw loss. You could say, that's what Levi's old friends were seeing. They say, oh, poor Levi. Look what, he, he doesn't have his former life anymore. Oh, poor Levi. And maybe they started making fun of him. That's all his old friends would have seen. Of Levi's gain, they wouldn't see that because that's spiritually discerned. It's only when you have faith can you can you really begin to see, oh wow, he's got everything. They didn't see that. Many times family and friends see the change as something that's unfortunate. They shake their heads and say, Are they crazy? Because they don't, they not it, this is they don't see how in Christ we gain everything. They don't see what Levi has gained. By the way, did Levi lose anything? He didn't lose anything. You know what he gave up? Just a burnt out existence. he, He gave up his selfishness. Is that something good? He gave up selfishness. He gave up vindictiveness. He gave up jealousy. He gave up hatred. Here he is. He's the one. And his friends wouldn't understand that. He's the one who passed from death to life. He's the one who is adopted into the most noble family, the most precious family of all, the family of Jesus Christ. He's provided for now. For now and into eternity. Wow. For this Levi threw a reception. How, how, how can he give thanks enough? He throws a huge banquet, it says here. And... He gave it in the honor of Jesus and giving thanks to him. But you notice something else here? He shares Jesus with his friends. He doesn't go to their party. This is what you call positive peer pressure. He doesn't go to their party anymore and booze it up and party it up. No, he says to his friends, you come, come to my house. I want you to meet somebody. Positive peer pressure, Right bringing them along with you because this this is real life. This is where real life really begins with the call of Jesus. And he wants them to hear the call too. And there was a great number, it says, verse 29, of the tax collectors and others who sat down with them. See here, you see Levi here? He cares about his friends. He wants them to meet Jesus. What positive peer pressure. Hey, boys and girls. Think about it. We ever hear peer pressure to do something wrong? Change that around. And you be positive peers. You be a a positive peer pressure to those who want to lead you in the wrong way. You try to lead them in the right way. In the way of Christ. You know, his friends, Levi's friends and companions, they may have been saying a lot of bad things about him, nasty things. We don't know. But Levi didn't do one thing. Levi didn't drop his friends. He didn't say, okay, I quit relating with them. No, he wanted to influence them in the right way. And he invites them to his house to meet Jesus. Levi might not feel accepted by his friends anymore, but who was he accepted by? By Jesus. God accepted him in Jesus. There's no greater acceptance Than being knowing that you're accepted forever and for eternity in Jesus. Forgiven, adopted, loved. That counted more than anything. That's everything. That changed everything. That changed everything in terms of his relationship with his friends, with his family, his work, his new priorities. Levi, you could say, was no longer a lemon. Are lemons tasty? What are they? Sour. So Levi was no longer a sour lemon, right? And what else was he not? He was no longer a coconut. What's a coconut? Is it hard? Yeah, he had a hard, before he had a hard shell around his heart. Stingy, self-centered, eh, complainer. That was all changed. His heart was open. God changed him. To be a follower means to be a changed person. He followed him. His heart was open, generous, sharing his newfound wealth. I mean, you talk about wealth. That was the greatest wealth that you could ever have. He shared it with his friends. He invited his friends to a real fellowship with Jesus Christ. And no longer one of the old parties of the past. Wow. Great number sitting there. As a matter of fact, this word there, sitting, is reclining. You know how they would eat in those years? On those times? They would probably lay kind of lay down on sofas, on mattresses. And you usually ate with what? Your right hand? So you would kind of go like this. You ever lean like this? With your head up? And so they were eating. It was a very relaxed environment. And they were just probably discussing and talking with Jesus away and Levi may have been asking his friends and say, hey, you you can ask any questions you want of Jesus. And maybe he was saying, Jesus, can you say something more to my friends? That's positive peer pressure. Levi was influencing them in in a very powerful way. Wow, what a great introduction to Jesus. But you know what? Some people, they were kind of passing by his house and they're looking in scowls on their face. They they were lemons. They were coconuts. They were very happy with what they saw inside. They saw Jesus and his disciples and a whole slew of those rascals, those bad people that despise class. They didn't like it. And that brings us to the last point. Verses 30 to 32, Jesus confronts the righteous. Look at verse 30. Their scribes and the Pharisees complained against Jesus, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Who are the Pharisees and scribes? Oh, they were the oh, they were the pastors of the day. They were the religious leaders. They were the, oh, we are the holy ones. Okay, they were the holy Joes, peer group. And there was that strong peer pressure. Don't touch those people. Because we're in a class ourselves, that was the kind of people they were, Holy Joes. They're thinking, how could Jesus, how could those disciples associate with that low grade of people, that that riffraff, that scum, those traitors, those thieves, how could they stay good? How could they stay pure and holy? Do you hear them? Grumbling, (laughs) sour lemons, hard coconuts. Was there any love in their hearts? Any joy? You know what? They were so far from Jesus. They didn't understand. Were they really following Jesus? No. Jesus confronts them. He says, it is not those who are healthy that need a doctor who needs a doctor those who are sick those who are ill he says jesus did not come to levi's house to participate in evil no right we don't go with our friends to participate in evil but he came as a physician he came as a doctor a doctor of their souls As a physician, he must come close to them, really close to them, so that he can reach out to them, touch them, heal them, have compassion on them, forgive them. Think for a moment of these grumblers. Suppose you have cancer, and you say, I don't have it. No, I don't have cancer. Oh, no, 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 you tell everybody, I don't have cancer. I don't. But does that change the truth? And in fact, Jesus is saying to the Pharisees, okay, you don't think you have cancer. You think you're healthy. You think that you're not sinful. All right, have it as you want. But I go to the people who really need me, I go to the sick. Isn't that what the church is? A hospital for sinners. That's what it is. Not a museum for saints, as someone would say, a hospital for sinners. Jesus makes this point, he says, I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. When he says the righteous here, what does he mean? Those who are truly righteous in themselves? No. That is those who think they are righteous. They think that they are so healthy. uh, It's like the person who denies his cancer when he really has it. But they're just denying it. They're deceiving themselves. That's the kind of. Righteous people that they were pretend righteous. They, they, they were deceiving themselves. Jesus, I've come to call sinners to repentance. I'm the savior of the lost. And you know what? Those who receive benefit from Jesus are the weary ones who confess. They are ruined, bankrupt, lost, sinful, helpless, hopeless, sinful people. I like the way someone put it. He put it this way. You talk about being a member of the church, a follower of Jesus. Put it this way. The church is the only place, the only fellowship in the world where the only one requirement to become a member of the body of Christ is your unworthiness. In order to become a member of the church of Jesus Christ, you have to declare your unworthiness. Because who's worthy? Christ. It's very, very important. Jesus does, and sometimes people say, well, Jesus accepts us the way we are. That's not true. He does not accept us the way we are. He takes us the way we are, and then God accepts us, declares us righteous through faith in Jesus Christ on the basis of his finished work on the cross. Jesus doesn't accept us as the way we are. He says, you come to me. I take you as you are, and I want to change you into something what you should become. This is really important. Because Jesus, when he came to us, did he come to leave us in our sins? No. He came to take us out of those sins and to call us to repentance, to remake us, to renew us by his Holy Spirit so that we can become what he wants us to become. I'll give you an example. Since this is a big topic in our days, and I think the church needs to address it because the world wants this as their big agenda, one may come to Christ as a homosexual. Certainly, of course, all are invited to come to Christ. All are called to come to Christ. So one may come to Christ as a homosexual or as an adulterer. Now, by becoming a follower of Jesus, Jesus doesn't say, oh, that's okay. He doesn't leave us in those sins. He doesn't leave us in the sin of adultery. He doesn't leave us in the sin of homosexuality. If we say that, that's to say that Jesus does not require repentance. But what did Jesus call sinners to do? To repent. To say that he... To say that he does, to say that he receives sinners without changing them is to say that he does not require repentance. And that's being self-righteous. When we don't require repentance? When we don't repent ourselves? That's being self-righteous. Jesus came to, Jesus' call to follow him always comes with a call to repentance, to faith, and obedience to him. You know the peer pressure of the culture around us, I know is for the church to conform to the culture around us and to affirm sinful lifestyles. Is that Jesus' way? No, sinners come, but Jesus doesn't affirm their lifestyle. He says, I come to change you. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Christ is Lord. He's Lord over all. And he says, follow me. That's what it means that we come to him in repentance and faith, that he changes, he changes us. I love that example of 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Remember the church of Corinth? Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idol- idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, Nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will enter the kingdom of God. And then he says, And such were some of you. (laughs) It doesn't say, And such are some of you. Such were some of you. That was your past. Jesus didn't accept them in that that way. He receives them, He takes them to change them. Such were some of you. And then it says, You are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. That's what following Jesus looks like, like that. Following means trusting and obeying him. Life with Jesus begins with a call, follow me. So let us, congregation, let's continue to encourage one another, sustain one another with our prayers, and let's continue to uphold one another In the love of Christ. Amen.